Welcome to the Beer Edge Podcast. I'm Andy Crouch. We'll get into the show in a moment, but first I've got Greg Taylor on the line, and his company, Source Brewing Company, is a sponsor of the program. We're talking about Source Brewing's Inclusion and Diversity Scholarship. Hi, Greg. Tell us a little bit more about the scholarship. So looking around the brewing industry, one area we definitely think there could be some improvement is uh, the subject of inclusion and diversity. And we are proponents and we think it would make for you know, a lot you know, better, more creativity, um, different mindsets and cultures, views on things. And, you know, that always you know, variety is the spice of life. And we like to represent, you know, all beer has to offer and all the, uh, the culture and personality and that comes along with it. We think it's beautiful and want to celebrate it. So the way we thought we could make the most direct impact in the industry we love so much is by creating a scholarship to help someone who is underrepresented in the brewing industry get a world-class education. And we're partnering up with the Siebel Institute of Technology, America's oldest brewing school, to offer a full ride to do the concise course in brewing technology. We're excited to have Source Brewing as a sponsor of the Beer Edge podcast. And Greg Taylor will be back with us at the bottom of the program. But in the meantime, I'd invite folks to check out Source Brewing's website at sourcebrewing.com for more information on the Inclusion and Diversity Scholarship and the brewery. Thanks for listening to the Beer Edge podcast. Before we get to this week's conversation, I'd invite you all to visit BeerEdge.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter or grab some merch. For all of you smoked beer fans, you've got to get your hands on our new Camp Rock Beer t-shirts and our slick camping mugs. And for those of you who love lager beer, of course, you can help us as always by defending Pilsner and buying a t-shirt and a big, beautiful lager mug. I'd also invite you to check out my partner John Hall's podcast, Drink Beer, Think Beer, which drops with new episodes every Wednesday. John is a master of the engaging, lively interview, and his style always brings out the best in his stellar guests. And check us out on social media. We're everywhere at The Beer Edge. The debate over which is the best American beer city has raged from the earliest days of craft beer. Powerhouse names such as Portland, both Oregon and Maine, Asheville, Denver, Chicago, and others have each made convincing cases. And right there, from the very beginning, has been San Diego, basking in its sunshine and style-defining West Coast IPAs, and smiling knowingly at its competition. This week, we have one of the most dialed-in people following the San Diego beer scene. Beer writer and marketer Brandon Hernandez has been deeply plugged into the Southern California beer scene for more than a decade. He has helped direct marketing at some of the area's best-known breweries, including Stone, Alesmith, and Society. In 2019, the longtime writer decided to focus his efforts on creating a new, interactive resource for fans of the area's beer scene with the founding of San Diego Beer News. The site is a bit of a throwback to the earlier days of beer blogs and local Bruce papers. Instead of doing deep dives into broad, weighty topics of national import, Brandon focuses on providing detailed and tangible information about San Diego breweries and beer bars. SD Beer News offers brewery maps, tap lists, interviews with local brewers and Q&As with beer players, and lots and lots of local beer news. A native San Diegan, Brandon is one of the most informed sources you're going to find about that beer scene. 
and despite having worked for several local breweries and generally trying to promote San Diego beer, he's not afraid to express opinions and offer critical thoughts as he does throughout this interview. It's a refreshing break from so much retread that so often constitutes beer writing today. He also opens up in personal terms about some sensitive topics, including his own experience with sexual harassment at the hands of one local brewery owner. We also chat about the roller coaster that has been San Diego beer in recent years, touching on Ballast Point, Stone, Alpine Brewing, and the reckoning involving modern times and others. Here's my conversation with writer and San Diego beer ambassador, Brandon Hernandez. So let's start with an easy question. Is San Diego America's best beer city? Absolutely. I'm not even going to flinch on that. I, uh, okay, maybe it's debatable, but having <laughs> lived here for uh, over 40 years and uh, enjoyed so many beers here and gone around, you know, searching for beer in other communities, there are a ton of great beer cities. But I think that what San Diego really has is just that it's so expansive. One of the most expansive counties in the entire United States mm-hmm. and just so many breweries, but not just qual- quantity, but quality. Uh, awards are one way to look at it, but just if you come to San Diego, there's no style of beer you're not going to find. And there are enough places making so many different styles that uh, as long as you kind of do your homework a little bit, ask people like, say, Brandon Hernandez at San Diego Beer News, San Diego Beer News online, um, you could probably find what you're looking for rather easily and even uh, several versions of that style made by passionate people who care. And do you think that distinguishes San Diego from from other cities? I would say it certainly does from a from a place like Boston, where I live, where I can't say that you can, you know, if you were looking for a mild or looking for English styles or things like that, that you mu- you will always be able to find them. Let alone, you know, big hoppy West Coast IPA. I think that does uh, define us. Now, I've been to other places where I've I've been able to find just about every style as well. We do a, a travel column uh, for San Diego Beer News and. Um, you know, I've been to places like Reno and Flagstaff where I found all sorts of styles, uh, everything down to uh, Belgian, English, German. But what I like about here is that San Diego in general, going outside of beer, attracts so many people, mostly because of the weather and the lifestyle, the beaches, things that people like. And uh, brewers are not immune to that. So we have transplants here from uh, all over the United States, but also we have an English brewery that's headed by someone who until they came to San Diego, their entire life was spent in the UK. Um, We have a German brewery that makes tremendous lagers as well as West Coast styles. Uh, They're called Epig and they are a a third generation uh, iteration of a uh, German style brewery that was born in Brooklyn that they brought out here and and, uh, revived in uh, our North County. So, uh, you can, everybody comes from all walks of life to San Diego and they bring with them uh, some of their culture and their preferences. So I think that's really what it's all about. We just, we just bring a lot of people to San Diego. And San Diego, you've written a number of guides and obviously you've run a website, San Diego Beer News, that we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But it, you know, just give us a sense of how big the beer scene is in San Diego. You know, how many breweries approximately are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about above 150 as far as different brands, but if you're going into brewery-owned venues such as tasting rooms and brew mm-hmm. pubs, restaurants, then we go well over 200 easily and probably around somewhere about 225, 230, I believe. So uh, if, 
don't throw a rock because you will hit a brewery and we don't want you to hit a brewery <laughs> with a rock. Uh, it's it's really fascinating. And the businesses aren't copycat. That's the best part, is that they are individual um, operations that usually march their own beat. I will say that having been in San Diego my whole life, one thing that we've seen with the restaurant industry is that if somebody comes out with a really good concept, the first thing you'll see is another six or seven, ten copycat type restaurants that will say, hey, that's working. Let's do this. Or they'll shift uh, existing model to something that seems to be working. But in brewing, what I am almost marvel at, given that, is that people are more interested in chasing their own dreams and making their own concepts that they've always wanted to make happen occur within our county. And uh, that makes for so much variety and just a scene where you really want to get the backstory and, and the backstory with breweries, as you know, from covering them, I think that's part of the magic the magic of what breweries uh, have to offer. It's just from individual stories of how beers were conceived to what made somebody change their, their vocation to make less money making beer mm-hmm. and, and you make a better quality of life uh, for themselves through what they're doing with their career. So if you're, you know, going around San Diego, how are you able to, you know, sort of differentiate between the breweries and how do you give advice to people uh, who are inevitably asking you with some frequency, you know, where should I go? What's good? The first thing I always have to do when somebody asks me that question is ask what they like. Mm. And uh, from there I can actually ask where they're staying because the yeah. where, what they like is the easy part. Where you're staying, being that, like I said, it's an expansive county. It is huge here, and it take you could take you as long as an hour to get from the top to the bottom. So uh, I need to know where they're staying. And at that point, I kind of whittle things down. And I got to say, that's one of the biggest joys of being a beer writer in San Diego for me is that people do reach out, and it just feels so good to be able to kind of like give back and help people find the experiences that I've enjoyed so much. Um, so those are the first two things we need to know, and also. Sometimes I ask them, what don't you, what aren't you really interested mm-hmm. in? So I try to steer them that way too. But um, I've never been stumped. And that speaks to, again, the, the quality and diversity of the scene here. And how would you characterize uh, San Diego's beer scene? If you were just to sort of give it in, you know, a couple couple of sentences, you know, to somebody who had knew nothing about it, except were just generally interested in beer. I would say, and you probably could hear the first part of this uh, by someone's description of their beer community, which I love, um, passionate people working together to, so that all to float all the boats and raise visibility of what's happening here to present something that the community can get behind and be proud of in a city that has so much to offer. I always think it's really impressive that craft beer has risen to the prominent place that it's in for San Diego, considering how much San Diego has to offer as far as just weather, beaches, landmarks, I mean, just recreation. Um, We have industries like biomed and technology here, yet beer is often spoken of like on on the top, it's in the higher echelon, the the most spoke about uh, things that we put out and can be proud of. So um, it's it's a source of civic pride the San Diego, you know, beer scene has obviously been one of the four, you know, runners in this country. Has produced a lot of well-known names, just not not just in you know San Diego or San Diego County or throughout California, but you know the entire United States and and beyond globally. Um, 
does it largely rely upon those just kind of those big heavy hitter names or is there also just a lot of experimentation and a lot of smaller breweries and a lot of energy going on there as well? I think we get a lot of attention outside of the area for the big names that we have, like say uh, Tommy Arthur at the Lost Abbey, mm-hmm. Peter Zion, Ale Smith, the names that you know, and definitely they do amazing things and they're well known around here and they garner a lot of attention by our citizens. But I have seen in the last, I would say maybe like seven years, people getting ultra local about what they drink. And so that means that they are patronizing the places that are within walking distance or a short drive from where they live. There are so many niche communities here in San Diego that that makes a lot of sense to me. And people are getting to know the smaller operations and what they're known for. And because so many people within our beer community talk and there's nice little private forums on social media and the power of just social media in general. But uh, one good thing about the the, uh, craft beer lovers here is that they are not averse to driving a long distance. And if you ask anybody in San Diego, hey, what breweries have you been to? You might get a list 50 long. Mm -hmm. No, but people do have their favorites, but they are big into just what's next, what's new. And they take on the challenge of wanting to go to every brewery. Not many achieve it, including myself. I can't believe it, (laughs) but they certainly give it a try. And it's a multi-year journey and experience. And uh, that makes it super fun. Let's focus for a moment here on San Diego Beer News. Um, Yeah, obviously the site is, you know, you're coming up in an anniversary, I think, here. So congratulations to you. Thanks so much. One whole year. And, you know, the site, for those who haven't been on it, is a bit of a throwback to much of what beer journalism was maybe a decade or so back when local blogs ruled and people went to Beer Advocate and other sites for for local information. Um, And it has a true local focus. You know, it has brewery maps and tap lists and local interviews, Q&As, and as you noted, local beer news, just openings and closings. and that's, you know, at least in my experience, seems to have been, you know, fairly lost compared to what it once was. And, you know, trying to find, you know, local, reliable, informed and experienced beer news is is kind of a, sadly, a thing of the past. You know, why did you decide to come back to you know, what I'm calling a, a throwback model? Because I think, you know, for those who are traveling to San Diego, it looks like an, a nearly unparalleled, you know, uh, opportunity to find great information. Well, first off, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. That's what I was going for. Um, before leaving society, I entertain. I, I wrote a business plan for, you know, I'm I'm going out on my own and uh, doing all this freelance, but someday I might want to have my own outlet. I, I think I could do it. And I sketched up what that might look like, and it was all based on what I would want to see as a beer fan, because at the end of the day, I think a lot of us who write about beer, we do it because we're passionate about it. We uh, are beer fans at heart. So I just wanted to have kind of like the ultimate local beer source where you're getting all of the great news. I I mean, I've been known for a long time here in town for getting all the scoops as far as brewing goes. And not only getting the scoops, but instead of saying, you know, I was first to the party, I like to get in-depth interviews and ask people for great details that versus uh, some places opening in this neighborhood. And you see people fill it out with all sorts of, you know, filler stuff. Uh, I like to actually get in touch with the folks because I've formed so many relationships and I'm able to have something that goes next level and tells you what to expect from these places, why they did it, why they selected that neighborhood, good stuff like that. So I have all of those and great Q and A's with people who are very interesting and, and do fascinating things. But there's the brewery map, the brewery list. It's, broken down into subcategories for all the neighborhoods I was talking about before, which is really handy if you're uh, trying to plan your trips. Um, 
we have a film series that we work on with a different publication of mine, but there's all sorts of great things on there. And I just kind of like rack my brain for what I could put on there. We have some guest columnists and we have some partner organizations like local TV stations and local podcasts and local radio stations that do beer coverage. So it kind of brings everything under one umbrella and it's not just me. Um, so it is a one-stop shop for that sort of thing. And uh, it is something that you can rely on that everything's always updated mm -hmm. it's perpetual update of like say the the brewery list if you come in there you're not going to miss by one day that someplace opened or better yet that they closed you won't show up someplace and it'll say uh and you'll say oh man they need to update their list it's it's updated like real time and so yeah I, it, it's daunting trying to keep yeah. up with everything but it's totally worth it and it's something i wish i could see in other cities because when i go visit i want to do that and we've actually had some talks with some other uh reliable bloggers in other cities such as st louis like there's this guy in st louis and we're we're uh, floating the idea of maybe having st louis beer news kind of affiliated with us so it's something that could uh, take on a life of its own but for now it's um it's localized here and really proud of what it's achieved and to just provide that that level of uh, consumer confidence hopefully yeah i would love to see sites like this you know spring up around the country we used to have you know beer journalism you could you know, spend hours and hours debating its current status and and how you know things have befallen it and and where it should go from here, but you know largely people do want that local news and even if you know here in Boston like the Boston Globe is going to give you the occasional article about a place opening or closing, but it's not that authoritative site and maybe you can go to a place like Eater to get a little bit more de granular sure. detail on things like uh, you know local beer gardens or or things like that, but you know something that is more comprehensive really throws back to the old days of, you know, the local information you get from, from Beer Advocate and other sites. So I would love to see, uh, you know, this concept, this, you know, this local beer news concept, you know, kind of come back to life because as you, you know, as we've talked, like a lot of the old publications are, are gone now. You know, a lot of those what used to be called Bruce papers that were, you know, kind of the annoying left in a corner, you know, to, to sort of dry out old newsprints for bars and beer bars. Uh, right. You know, most of those have gone under and, you know, now obviously with, you know, the internet, uh, you know, you know, 25, 30 years on at this point, you know, there's absolutely no reason we, we shouldn't have, you know, this kind of authoritative information. Right. And, uh, I realized I didn't speak to the uh, throwback nature of the site. So I apologize for that. But, um, when I was thinking about the best way to present this to people, as much as I'm a guy who loves to have newsprint all over his fingers and go through the Sunday paper and all that sort of thing. And, and you know, I, I loved reading the Bruce papers, but the fact is, is that it's no longer a sustainable model, mm -hmm. at least not for at least not for a single shingle guy like me who was going to do this. And I wanted people to actually be able to read and use this content in the way that modern people do. And that's on their phone. And it's, it's great to have a resource that's informational that you can get to real time, as you're saying, going from one tasting room to the other. It's like, oh, what's nearby? OK, what do they do? Here's their website. You know what is what's been written in the site about that. I'll check that out. So I really like that aspect of it. It's just like sometimes you got to get with the times. But it's funny because it does kind of look throwback to what, but because it is what one person could do at the time. Um, but and I don't, yeah, I definitely don't mean throwback in a bad way. I mean it in a great way because it is a oh, sure. is almost a singular resource at this point. You know, there's plenty of places. You know, you can go through Untapped or you can, like I said, search Google or go through Google Maps and things like that. But it's, you know, I feel like whenever I, you know, certainly pre-pandemic when I would travel, you know, whether you're going back to Denver, you know, once a year or, or going to a, a new city, you know, those old resources that made things a lot easier, 
you know, especially when there are only 1,500 breweries in the country, those are those are gone now. With 8,500 right. or so breweries in this country, it's next to impossible to kind of differentiate. It's almost like, you know, as you said, you know, where's your hotel or where's your Airbnb? And then I guess you go yeah. to the five places around there, not necessarily, you know, being the ones that you would personally want to go to if you could actually get better, more detailed, more experienced information. Right, right. And uh, I, I guess I would describe my site as kind of like, a blog on steroids that has like a professional journalism tilt to it in that um, one thing I, I don't do is I don't do opinion pieces. I kind of think that, well, I, I really like them. I think that people do a really good job with them that l- lately I've seen beer journalism is almost exclusively opinion pieces. Right. And sometimes by people who have really no background with which to give the opinion and that they've never been in the industry or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in the industry and I, maybe I should be giving opinions on because I have that background, but I thought when I was making the site, you know, these days when I look online, everyone's got an opinion and few people are really interested in hearing anybody else's. So what I wanted to do was just give straight news. It's unbiased. It's just hear the facts. And uh, one thing you can count on from the site is that it's not, uh, there's no tilt to it in that there's nothing behind the scenes in that, say, a brewery buys an ad. It will not affect the uh in any way, the content that you see here. So it really is just staying factual. And the only opinions that we put out are the ones that are in our Voices of San Diego Beer series of guest articles Mm -hmm. where, say, a brewery owner or someone within the industry comes on and shares about something that's important to them, their background, their experience, or whatever. And I I like that. I like that you can just look to me as some guy who's like, I'm not interested in taking a stance either side. I'm just putting things out there. Here's what happened. Right. And uh, here's what this place is about as they've told it to me. But it's nice to be able to also give that platform to the people within the industry who don't have something like a website like I do. Lend that to them so that they can have a voice and talk about things that are occurring in their business, their life, the scene. And uh, it I didn't really exist before, so it's a nice little uh, value added to the site, I think. The San Diego beer scene has experienced, you know, some some real ups and downs in recent years, and some some major stories have come out of there, um, and and still are ongoing. Let's can we just start talking a little bit about, you know, what happened with Ballast Point and and sort of your experience from you know it being you know purchased. Uh, for you know a billion dollars in a in a massive story to then basically being sold for for pocket change to a, a brewery group that almost no one had heard of, you know what was your reaction you know to both parts of that and 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 what's going on with Ballast Point? Uh, okay, uh, going back in time to that, woo, that tremendous sale. Uh, I wasn't surprised. I had seen for years uh, from meeting. Uh, somebody that they hired to kind of ramp up everything. Uh, they, they hired somebody specifically to come in who had business acumen. Mm-hmm. I mean, just knew exactly what they were doing. And basically, you know, up production, uh, bought a lot of tanks that as they were doing it, I'm thinking, you really don't have the use for this many tanks and you really don't need to be making this much beer. It seems like you're inflating the look and feel of this business so that it can be sold. Mm-hmm. And eventually that did occur. And, Lo and behold, Constellation had no use for all of those tanks. Right. And it had tons of barrels worth of stuff they couldn't sell because, I mean, the market for barrel-aged beer was low. They're putting out six-packs of sour beers. It's like, yeah, that's a little behind or ahead of its time. I'm not sure which, but uh, no one's really looking for that either. And they found it to be very challenging. Uh, from people within the organization, they told me that from the moment they showed up, they said, okay, we want the next Grapefruit Sculpin. 
They said, do you, do you realize how long it took us to get <laughs> grapefruit sculpin in the first place? I mean, it doesn't just happen. It, it, and it didn't really happen, I don't think, from a, it happened from a almost accidental standpoint. It wasn't like, you know, we're going to put uh, fruit in these IPAs and they're just going to go gangbusters. So there was a lot, a lot, a lot of frustration from Constellation brands. And I think that they exacted a lot of that onto their staff. I mean, oh. it for the people who didn't get laid off, I think it was pretty miserable for them. At least that's what they told me almost to a, a person is that it was just miserable being there. And I can understand that your, your owner wants you to uh, hit these goals that you never signed on to do in the first place. And you can't do it. I mean, organizationally, uh, logistically, you just can't make it happen for them. And so it just was like this terrible stalemate. I think they got out of it, cut their losses and just said, Hey, Somebody want this? Great. You take it and I'll give it to you cheap because it's kit is bleeding me dry. Yeah. The new people came aboard and uh, I met them immediately as they came into town. And I, I've been very encouraged by just this attitude that, okay, that what happened sucked. Uh, we we want to bring this back to what it's, we, it was before. We definitely want to, you know, they use the term own home in a non, uh, in a way that sounded good to me when mm-hmm. they said it. Said, you know, we want to be back to being a legitimate San Diego brewery. We we want to work with all the other breweries in town. We want to do things. We want to support the Brewers Guild. And we, we want this to be where we excel. And then anything else beyond this, we it'd be great to be you know distributed in other states and, and sell well. But re- really, it comes down to we need to restore the glory of Ballast Point. And I was all behind it. I think a lot of people were. They went out and met with other brewers and breweries and just, you know, got to know them. Then the pandemic happened right after that. I mean, within a month. And so it kind of threw all of their plans out the window on the the immediate front. And so I I think that the intention was, okay, this will pass and we'll get back to that, that goal. But then they, like every other company, had to start worrying about, okay, we need to package a ton of beer, get it out there and like just remain uh, a sustainable business that can survive and so they haven't been able to do all the things they wanted to do but they have invested in uh, certain brewers guild initiatives they have diversity scholarships they put out they've done a lot of things they didn't need to do quite frankly mm-hmm. and in the middle of a pandemic i think it's pretty admirable so i am looking forward to seeing what they're able to do when we're all on more solid footing and it's a more uh, normal way of life i think that they're going to do good things and uh you know they've already brought some beers back they've taken away some of the marketing that was occurring with uh, constellation brands and i think that people look at that company in a, in a different light as well they should there was a lot of people who were skeptical and mm-hmm. i thought kind of weird to be skeptical when you don't even know what these people are about <laughs> but so far everything i've seen has been encouraging so it's pretty cool and our, how are locals responding to sort of, i know obviously it hit right as pandemic was about to unfold, but you know, how have locals responded post sale? Are they uh, similarly minded where they are willing to give them ballast point a shot and they're seeing changes or do they sort of view them as this kind of like almost non San Diegan behemoth at this point because of it, you know, it's prior sale. It's a real mixed bag, but I would say if the people who are keeping up on this, for the most part, they're savvy enough to understand what has occurred and they say, sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, for the people who aren't like my niche audience who really love craft beer, I think that a lot of it's just over their head and they're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of the, um, I think that some of the relevance that Ballast Point 
lost during the constellation years is something they're still fighting to get back. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of people who kind of gave up on them or just got, got tired of just there was no innovation. You know, it's like sculpin, sculpin this, sculpin that, sculpin this, sculpin that, and nothing else was coming out under the constellation flag that was really of note. So all they were doing was pushing the the big dogs and so people stopped following them because if there was nothing new happening what was the point it's like i know sculpin maybe i'll get one i don't know mm-hmm. so uh the more that occurs the more they'd see i think the more they see in the general public sees in grocery big box stores that uh, shows them that they're doing other things which they're starting to roll out the better things will be in ballots becoming relevant again but you know they got too stayed under constellation and that's never a good thing in the craft beer industry where People are looking to be uh, excited about something. Another one of those kind of situations that was sort of up and down and all over the place and a little bit of, a little bit of drama was you know, sort of the story of Alpine Brewing. Can you talk to you know talk to the listeners here about you know what you know the story behind it and you know sort of the ups and downs that it has experienced and and what's happening with it now? Okay, sure. Uh, it's an interesting story in that. Alpine was so uh, popular because it had a great fan base, but no way to service them. You know, it never had, they never had enough beer. They're always out of beer. So they formed a partnership, which was essentially uh, Green Flash taking them over, but keeping on um, Pat and Sean McElhaney to uh, oversee the brewing of three beers. It, I, I'm going to kind of butcher this because there's sure. no way to quite get to the exact story because there's so much that's said on either side. But essentially, that's what happened. It was a green flash entity, and they uh, started distributing um, it was a Duet Nelson Hoppy Beer, Hoppy Birthday on a national level to all of their, I think it was 40, 50 states, maybe 46. At any rate, it became this big brand, and the beers weren't turning out the way the McElhaney's wanted or fans wanted, and the difference was just, it was obvious, and nobody really liked what they were doing. Eventually, things weren't working out so great with that. So they, uh, as soon as they could, they got rid of Pat. And then last year, as the uh, pandemic came on, uh, Green Flash severed ties with uh, Sean. I should note that the, the ownership that purchased Mira Mesa, uh, not Mira Mesa, I'm sorry, Alpine, and uh, brought that operation to Mira Mesa under the Mike Hinckley regime, that's no longer there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of funny because people really, really don't like green flash because of what happened to alpine here yeah. locally and it, it, they're very angry about it it's kind of interesting that the new ownership gets so much flack when all they really did that i can see that wasn't maybe kind of wasn't so cool was uh, getting rid of sean mm-hmm. but green flash as i see it as an organization now i don't really see them doing anything that's that's horrendous or, or egregious so um i i don't quite understand the volatility there at any rate Pat and Sean, now freed up of their devotion or their, their obligations to Green Flash, decided, let's get back in the family business again. So mm-hmm. they were able to acquire the the two suites that they built Alpine Beer Company in. Green Flash left, and they're in there now with McElhaney Brewing, which has been a tremendous success out of the gates, opened up uh, earlier this summer, and it's just packed all the time. And can you describe the can you describe the space because the space is is part of the story. This is not this is not some big flashy flashy spot. 
No, although it is a little flashier than it used to be. Okay. So in the they have this one suite that's all brew house. It used to have uh, the uh, brew house in it and the space where you would get your growlers filled. Mm-hmm. It was low frills as it gets, and that was kind of the charm of the whole right. thing. It's like you knew this was a family business in a in an unincorporated part of the county, and you would go all this way on the weekends just get your beer. Uh, now they took out the uh, growler part. And they put in a larger brew house, more cellar space, and it's allowed them to kind of grow into their own a little more. They still can't make enough beer, but um, they will be able to make more beer. And so it's not like you show up and there's hardly anything there. They have a, a great filled out tap list that you can get in the other suite, which kind of looks uh, a little like log cabinish, And mm-hmm. uh, it's got like the wood facade and everything. So it's very down home. And they have a great tiered patio outside that they took some time to to build up. And it's it play, people love going out there. They have nicely like, picnic tables with shade and it's very family friendly, dog friendly. But you it's like coming home, especially for the people who loved Alpine so much and then had to boycott Alpi- Alpine because of the green flash thing. Now they come back. And it's like I'm I'm literally it feels like I'm home because it's like a home. And the whole family's there running it by themselves pretty much with their employees. And it's pretty cool pretty cool it's the feel good feel good story the san diego beer scene needed it it really is it's actually a story that thanks to them letting me kind of like put it out there first uh kind of built the san diego beer news name early yeah. on it, it, the story went viral and it allowed me to uh make it uh, to progress a lot faster than i could have without it so i owe a lot to the McElhaney's, but again even though i owe them that if their beer was terrible i tell you i'm just kidding but it's great <laughs> One of the other, uh, you know, sort of behemoths in the region that has helped long define the San Diego beer scene is obviously Stone. And that's a place that uh, I believe you worked for a while and obviously did some marketing. You talked about that. Um, And it has seen some real ups and downs, though perhaps a little bit quieter than than some of the others, though still grumbling under the surface in recent years. Uh, Right. Could you just what's the update? You know, I could I could ask some very specific questions about what's happening over there. But can you just sort of, you know, explain to folks what's been going on at at Stone for the last couple of years? Wow, there's a lot's been going on at Stone the last couple of years. Um, It's it's really hard to encapsulate, but I will say that the, the brewery that once was known primarily, if not exclusively for hoppy beers, has seen has struggled in that scene not because of the beer quality i don't think but mostly it's just people have moved on to uh, newer brands flashier brands um a lot of hazies and you know stone doesn't didn't really get behind the hazies mm-hmm. they have hazy beers that aren't as hazy <laughs> you know what i mean it's more like an unfiltered west coast ipa which i'm i'm okay with right <laughs> but i believe that they're they're uh living and dying on that uh buena Vesa, uh, lager that they make now and with the shift people have had to mexican style lagers they've seen a lot of success with that one brand but that puts them in a, a really weird space and it's like hey but i used to come to you guys for ipas double ipas and then uh, seasonally i would get your imperial russian stout and i would get your barley wine what's up with this it's like a complete you know 180 here that you're throwing on me and i think locally people can't quite cope with the decisions that they're making in order to remain a viable national brand, because that that's, that's a successful strategy for getting out to other states. But here locally, even though they have the IPAs and they're putting out seasonal IPAs and, and all of that, 
I, they've just kind of, kind of lost in the shuffle as they've uh, since bringing on a new CEO several years back. I think that they were they tried some things and therefore people saw a little bit of change and then they said this isn't my old stone and they're like kind of, that was kind of the point. But they, they've just struggled to present an, a solid identity and people have therefore struggled to be able to associate any kind of identity with them because they, they just see these things happening and they're a little confused. I don't think that there's any loss of love for, for Stone or what they've accomplished here locally. Most beer fans, they really uh, appreciate what they were able to do. And, and they were the ones who got the national spotlight, you know, the, the eyes of the nation over to San Diego initially, mm-hmm. if you ask me. But they're just trying to make things work in a difficult market. If people go local, like I was talking about, you know, they start going to the neighborhood brew pub instead of driving to one of Stone's venues, which are often in remote areas, even though they have one spot out by the airport, which is which is pretty, pretty easy to get to. Uh, The new and shiny was something that kind of killed them. And we're still in the new and shiny phase. But uh, that that and of course, you know, Stone Berlin was like just a, a, a giant thing to have to overcome the, the failure of that venue which yeah i was i was out there as it was being built that place was tremendous i got to see it and then virginia is like i, I think people appreciate virginia way more it's too bad it just didn't be just stay like a, a bi-coastal operation yeah. i think we the stones still could have accomplished way more if they'd done that but i i'm glad to see them still in operation and finding things that work like like buena Vesa and I, I, I'm in, I'll be interested to see how the uh, I think it's called Buena Vida, the hard seltzer line yeah. does. The thing that everybody thought was an April Fool's joke, but was real. Yeah. I still haven't had it yet, but it'll be interesting to see if that finds traction as well. But it just, again, speaks to how Stone has changed so much, at least ostensibly, that people just scratch their heads a little bit. But I will say that the, the locals don't will, will never probably there'll never be a green flash situation with stone that I can think of. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. I mean, it's obviously stone, as you said, and you know, especially it's, you know, one of its co-founder Greg cook had really helped put San Diego beer on the map. And, and we're really out there and being, you know, very sort of in people's faces about, you know, what stone was and, and more specifically what stone wasn't. And it just seems right. that in, in recent years, as you've described, all of the things that Greg would have espoused and all of the, and you know, the things that sort of made stone stone have melted away and has sort of left us with almost like an April fool's joke in itself, you know, where the brewery is now doing lager and, and seltzer. It just seems just almost absurd on its face. Yeah. And you know, if I, if I may uh, just interject with a little bit of something that I always carried with me when I was working in the brewing industry, I would tell people, especially when I got to Society Brewing, which was another brewery, brewery that told you what it wasn't going to do. Right? Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're not going to make hazies. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. I always tried to tell the bosses, look, don't waste your time telling people what you're not going to do. And this is great advice for any brewery starting up. Tell people what you're going to do. That's all they really care about. And if, if you're on your high horse about what you're not going to do, it's a waste of time. Because you may need to change course, whether you like it or not. I mean, society's completely changed. They make a light beer. They make hazy IPAs. They do all sorts of things that they ne- said they would never do. And it's just an unnecessary, an unnecessary thing to have to deal with, like damage control for all the things you said you weren't going to do. It's like, mm-hmm. just tell me what you're going to do. I'm going to make really amazing West Coast IPAs. We're going to make Belgian beers, and we're going to make dark ales and sour ales. 
great. I know what you do. But we're never going to stop, stop, stop. Yeah. You, you don't need to go into that. And it's just <laughs> going to be more embarrassing if you have to backtrack because there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, people make business decisions and I don't understand why breweries make a situation where they have to feel bad for doing something that is you know, fiscally responsible for their business. And, you know, it, further ensures a longevity for this passion project and their baby that they've created. So if I can give any advice to any new brewery startups out there, don't tell me what you're not going to do. Just do what you're going to do and do it well. I got some amazing advice. Uh, Recently, the, you know, the country has gone, you know, the craft beer industry in the United States has gone through, you know, what, you know, some are terming sort of a reckoning uh, dealing with issues of, of misogyny and racism. Uh, and you know, the lens has not been, you know, has been focused on a lot of different places, but one of those is, is San Diego. Uh, and there've yeah. been a lot of breweries there, whether it's, you know, society and modern times and, and others who have had to really deal with either allegations of, um, of, of mistreatment of employees, or as I noted, sexism or misogyny and a whole variety of different things. What has been your experience sort of sort of watching, you know, this the national reckoning and the national focus on San Diego? Uh, well, I got to say, you know, somebody who lives here and is a big fan of San Diego beer in general, it's been really disheartening to see how many stories have come out of here. And although you know, the majority of them are anonymous, there's a lot of cases where I can look at it and I think in, in some cases I know exactly who's who's leaving these comments mm-hmm. and it, it, it's sad, but I, I think it's great that people can put this out there. Um, if there's any positive to be taken away from San Diego having as many as it did, it, it, it's that I would hope that it that people are on notice, whether they whether they did these things or whether they're the type of person who might. I hope that they know that there's a. Uh, microscopic lens on this industry in this region right now and hopefully it detracts it it makes people not do that anymore Mm -hmm. or or at least makes them so scared that it's like you know i better i better change my ways would be what i would hope they would think i need to be a better person i need to change my ways or for the people who are just habitually terrible um makes them so scared that they don't do it anymore uh, it, it's just appalling what what I've seen, and you know I've been in the brewing industry as well. I was in there for over seven years, and you know it wasn't always it wasn't always great. It wasn't always bad. I mean, I worked for some I worked for some great companies, but I will tell you also worked for companies where the workplace was completely inappropriate, and it and I was kind of glad to get away from that because of it. And I there was a lot of times when there were things that were very inappropriate almost exclusively to females mm-hmm. but if you were a guy with any kind of class or were in a mature adult you found it appalling as well and i did so even having these feelings voicing them to management myself i fell on deaf ears i couldn't make any changes i would have liked to have made changes um i will tell you that i've been sexually harassed at a brewery by a female owner of a brewery and it was awful you know mm-hmm. you tell ownership nothing happens except that they go tell the other owner who harassed me, you know, it's, it's terrible. Um, so I, I, I see where a lot of these people are coming from and I just, you know, my heart goes out to them and it's, it's, it's painful, but at least something's happening on some level. And I think it's time for the brain industry to grow up in general. 
it's great that you want to get into an industry and you say, yo, I got out of it. I got out of whatever, let's say engineering or biomed, because I wanted to do something fun. And brewing is fun. Drinking beer, enjoying beer, presenting your beer to the public is really fun. It's, it's a great thing to do. But at the same time, I've, I've always tried to stress, again, with going back to what I would tell owners, it's like, at the end of the day, it's a business. And I came from corporate jobs. So I was used to having an HR structure. I was used to having an employee handbook. I was used to having, you know, a structure in place where when things went bad, you could hold people accountable, you could jettison them from your company, do whatever you had to do. And it, 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 it makes for a better workplace, even though, you know, you're in a corporate business and you're like, I hate corporate. But sometimes some of those things are actually really good to have. And I think that sometimes when people start a brewery, they say, well, I don't want to be in that, you know, stodgy. Right. You know, but everyone's coming to their cubicle farm business. And I get and appreciate that. But I think a lot of people are ill-equipped to deal with this kind of thing. And, and I don't mean to say, like, grow up like the brewing industry is some, you know, little infant child. Because there's a million things that brewery owners do well. I just think it's that this uh, phenomenon and this uh, this time in our in our history has shown people the importance of okay, maybe I, I yes, I want this place to be fun. I want it to be an enjoyable workplace, but at the same time, I have to be able to protect my employees. And you know, also if it, if if this is their motivation, I need to protect my business from going out of business because these claims, if they ever come to the point where it's you're getting a legal claim put against you, it could not only affect you, put you out of business, but also affect the livelihood of everybody under your roof. And that's what I've hated to see the most is the effect on the employees, because the employees who did nothing are being affected, you know, to some extent as well. That's how they make their money. So I just I, I, I would hope that this chapter in history gets gets these businesses to the next level where they say, OK, we got to button up a little bit, but at the same time, challenge ourselves to still be this great place we want to be because there's so many, there's just so many great ethoses behind so many great breweries and the, the spirit and mentality that birthed them needs to be maintained. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with uh, putting in business mechanisms that do the best thing that they could possibly do is just safeguard you and your employees because the people behind breweries are what we all love as well. And they need to be taken care of. And in talking about some of the people behind the breweries, recently the San Diego beer scene lost one of its biggest advocates in Nate Sirocco. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who Nate was and what did he mean to the local scene? Nate was awesome. That's who Nate was. Um, I was fortunate enough to be a close friend of his, which I know that probably literally thousands of people can say, and that's <laughs> so amazing. Um, he and I, we were in the same supper club together. I mean, that, that makes me sound so pretentious, but you know, if Nate was there, it wasn't. Um, it was this, uh, this fun beer community uh, supper club where we'd uh, cook with beer and pair with beer. And I looked forward to it so much because he just brought so much energy and, and just life to that. And that's what he brought to uh, everywhere and anywhere he went, anybody he saw. So Nate was a, uh, a chef, as well as an advocate for everything, beer, food, uh, dining, entrepreneurial in this, uh, in, this, in this great city. He championed people's causes. He uh, gave people the uh, faith to chase their dreams and would also serve beer to people, and, but in the most lively and positive and fun way ever. I mean, that guy was just, he was, he was a ball of 
energy and uh, worked at worked at several places, Modern Times, Lost Abbey, and some other some other spots. He worked at some icon spots called uh, Liars Club. He was here at Tornado when they when they used to have an outlet here, but. He just uh, had a way of connecting to people. It was his his passion above beer and food was people, and so you were he and he, he met new people. And instead of saying, uh, "Wonder what's up with this person," or feeling kind of wary, he just always approached people as that could be my next friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and more often than not, that happened. And just seeing the way people got behind him and. You know, loved him and the reputation he was able to amass just for being a good person and somebody that people enjoyed being around gave me faith in the world, especially these days where everyone's trying to tear somebody down. And that guy was only trying to lift people up. Um, he is sorely missed around here. And his sudden passing was was hard on a lot of people. We actually had a, a memorial for him. I, I say we. I went to a memorial for him put on by Modern Times. It was a little beer festival they did for... Uh, folks who wanted to come and pay their respects and uh, people shared stories and it, it was just a really nice way for people to get closure, all of his friends being together. And we all had this common bond between us and we all shared stories, you know, privately as well. And just we're there for each other. It was a great, it was a great form of closure after a little yeah. over a month of just kind of like aimlessly mourning such a, such a wonderful figure that will never be forgotten in San Diego beer. Well, I certainly rest in peace to him and a huge loss to that to that local scene. But I, I've loved hearing I didn't have the opportunity to meet him myself, but I've loved hearing the stories uh, of him and what he has meant. Um, you know, as you said, he's just someone who kind of gave back a lot um, and sort of related yeah. to that. You know, in addition to your writing, you've also um, been heavily involved in in beer related charities. Can you talk to me about you know, as, as we sort of come to a close here? Uh, tell me about Beer to the Rescue. Oh, okay. Great. Beer to the Rescue. Uh, it's a, a program that I started in 2014 when I was diagnosed with lupus. Um, it took me forever to get this diagnosis. I, I mean, seven years of going to doctor after doctor after specialist after specialist and taking so many tests. And eventually they were finally able to figure out what was wrong with me. And then I had lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. It's chronic um, and requires daily medication. Yeah. Just, just being on top of it. It's one of those things where, okay, you know you got it. Now you know what you can do about yeah. it. You got to be very cognizant of it all the time. And one thing that frustrated me was all the time it took me to get diagnosed. And then when I found out I had it, there weren't a lot of resources. There was this one small organization called, and there still is, Lupus Foundation of Southern California. So one person operation that you know struggled to be funded, struggled to be able to do the things it needed to do. And so having seen the tremendous example that the breweries in my area and really all over the nation have, have set for getting behind charities and helping to fund organizations that need some help, I thought, you know, why don't I just see if some breweries would hold an event, maybe brew a special beer and then tap it and a portion of proceeds could go to some kind of charity. We'll go to this organization through some kind of charity entity, which I eventually named Beer of the Rescue. I sent out an email to maybe 40 breweries and I, I want to say like 35 got back and said yes within the span of say 72 hours. Hmm. I mean, it just speaks to what SD beer is about. I mean, San Diego brewers, this is just in their DNA. So we started doing the special beers and having release events. And over the years we've raised about $150,000 and uh, obviously COVID stopped everything, but it's been a really great experience. It's, it, it's uh, brought 
new attention to uh, the Lupus Foundation of Southern California allowed them to do things. We have scholarship program that we do as well as, you know, funding a lot of their efforts. So it's been a real joy and, and something that has got me even closer with all of the brewers that I already liked working with, but um, uh, something I'll always be tremendously grateful to grateful about. Well, Brandon, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I've learned a lot about San Diego. It's a place I've spent some time over the years, but apparently not enough. And it sounds like, you know, I would come back. It's probably been the better part of a decade and I wouldn't even recognize it at this point, but I'm <laughs> hoping to get out we'll there. And, and certainly your site is a fantastic resource that I'll be relying on next time in town. But I, you know, I definitely want to thank you for taking the time and also look forward to having a beer with you, hopefully in San Diego. Oh, my pleasure. And yes, you, you do have that website as a resource, but you know a guy too. I, I, I really hope that you reach out when you come by and I, I look forward to that beer. Welcome back to our conversation with Greg Taylor of Source Brewing, a sponsor of the Beer Edge podcast. You also have some other exciting news. Why don't you tell us about uh, the new location? Source Brewing will be opening up our second location. It's going to be uh, so we have the Farmhouse Brewery in Coltsneck, and this will be Source Urban Brewery in the heart of Fishtown neighborhood of Philadelphia, which is really exciting. There's a lot of creative and artistic energy with bars and restaurants and, and other artists in town that we're, we're really looking forward to moving in there and um, delivering some excellent beer drinking experiences. If we could direct people um, to careers at sourcebrewing.com. Uh, if you're qualified for our diversity and inclusion scholarship, so you're part of a, a group that may be underrepresented in the brewing industry, this can be females, ethnic minorities, uh, transgender, you know, any sort of, um, you know, underrepresented group, you're eligible for the scholarship. So it could shoot us an email to careers at sourcebrewing.com dot com and just tell us why you're interested in getting in the brewing industry. Also, if people are in the Philadelphia area and looking for employment as chefs, beer tenders, hostesses, line cooks, we would love to hear from you. And uh, we encourage you to apply also at careers at sourcebrewing.com. Thanks for listening to the Beer Edge Podcast. My partner John Hall and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. Thanks for your support.